Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7. Again, he, that is God, designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for God, for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest, that is God's rest, has himself also ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone falls uh, so lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joint and marrow, and, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want you to think about this. Um, there is, in our lives, in all of our lives, there's a pursuit. All of us are chasing after something. And one of the most honest questions you and I really have to ask ourselves is, what am I pursuing? What am I chasing after? Because God also has his own pursuit, has his thing that he wants you and me to pursue. If those things are not the same, it causes all kinds of frustrations and all kinds of issues. In other words, you and I must pursue what God wants to pursue in our life. You and me, we need to have the same goal that God has for us. You get what I'm saying? You and I have to have the same goal that God has for us. Now, what's God's goal for us? The Bible says in Romans that he called us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's goal for you and I. His goal for you and I, God's overarching goal, is now for you and I to become millionaires or billionaires, win the you know, uh, mega trillion or any of those things. That's not God's overarching goal for us. It's not for you and I to have a fancy house or drive a fancy car or any of these things or be in a relationship or have a family or do well in our job, be educated. All those things are fine, except for playing the mega trillion thing, which is not good. You shouldn't play that. But all the other things are not bad. 
It's just now what's God's overarching goal for us is God's goal for you and for me is that we become like Jesus Christ. Now, I hope that's appealing to you because the truth is, very often, that's something that not a lot of people, and I'm talking about Christian, not a lot of people are really interested in. But I will take it that if you're here on a Tuesday night, it probably means somewhere in your heart you are interested in growing in your relationship with God, or otherwise you wouldn't be here. Okay, So this is then what this has to do with, God's goal for us. And primarily, God talks here about... A, whoops. This is not wise. <laughs> I should have not used... Um, okay. I should not have used... Um, a place with an incline to have a bottle that is open. Okay, so if we have the same goal that God has for us, here's what God says. Primary to us becoming more like Jesus Christ is this, is that we listen to what the word of the Lord has to say. So the Bible said, therefore, God again said the day, calling it today, and he says, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. I want to say that in order for us to become more like Christ, grow in holiness, it begins with listening to God today, every day. You have to remember that the most important day of your life is what? What's the most important day of your life? What did you say? Today. That's right. It's now your birthday. It's today. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow you have no control over. The most important day of our life is always today. You can't live in the regrets of tomorrow. You can't live in the fears or even the hope. You can't live in the regrets of yesterday. Um, even the successes of yesterday and you cannot live um, in the fears, even the hopes of tomorrow. The day that God has given you and me is today. And today is the day we have to listen to his voice. And every day God says something. Every single day God is speaking. How do I know that? Jesus said men will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We eat bread every day. And so we also need to hear from the Lord every day. And whatever it, you, wherever you are in your life today, God is speaking and is saying something to you. Now, I don't know what he's saying to you. To some of you, he may be saying, trust me, do not be concerned, do not be worried. To some of you, he may be saying, cut off that friendship, it's not good for you. Cut off that relationship, it's leading you into a, a bad path spiritually. For some of you, he's saying, stop being lazy and get up and read the word every day. To some of you, he's saying something. Yeah, maybe some of you are saying, go and apologize to someone. Some of you, he may be saying, hey, take your, your responsibility as a child, as a student, more seriously, or at your job more seriously. God is always speaking and saying something. He may be saying something to you about your children, about your marriage, about your work. But God is always saying something. And whenever God speaks, we have a choice. 
the choices we either listen or we harden our heart. What's hardening our heart is when God speaks, we know we hear it, but we said, okay, I know he said that, but I'm going to keep on marching my own way. The Bible says that that's hardening of our heart. And what that robs us of, it's not that we gain something, we lose something. We do not enter into God's rest. We don't enter into God's rest when we don't listen to him. And so the Bible says here that God um, had asked, he designated, to say, say, he designated another day, call it today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua, verse 8, if Joshua had given them rest, he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. So there remains, therefore, a rest for God's people. Listen to this carefully. There remains a rest for God's people. You often will hear that there are some uh, who believe that, some churches believe that the day of rest is the Sabbath. It's the seventh day. And that day when you do not do any work, you, you, you do not do anything, and you just uh, do no work. But the Bible says here that God has another day of rest. It's called today. It means that every day is a day of rest for the Christian, for God's people, which is why we are, we're believers. There is another day of rest, not the seventh day of the week, but today is a day that God wants us to live in, in his rest. And what does that mean? If we listen to his words, to what the Lord is saying to us, what that brings, it brings rest and peace into our lives. We may have conflict, we may have issues, we may have trials, but internally there is a peace and a rest that we enter into. The only time that we are really in trouble is when we're in trouble with God. But a person who is not in trouble with God is not in trouble at all. There could be all kinds of trials, tribulations, attack. people may lie about you, people may try to do all things about you, but you are at rest because you are listening to what God is saying. You're not hardening your heart. It brings a sense of peace and rest into the life of a Christian. Let me elaborate more on what that, be, that means. So it says, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day. So the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt and for 400 years. God in his love and in his mercy did something they did not deserve. He decided to take this nation of slaves Take them out of slavery and make them a special people for himself. He was going to give them a land, the land of Canaan, modern-day Israel, and that was going to be their land. And in order for them to enter that land and possess it, there were two bodies of water that they needed to cross. There was two barriers that they needed to cross, and there were no bridges. So they left Egypt, and the first body of water they had to cross was what? 
the Red Sea. They crossed out on dry ground, and Moses was leading them. And then there was another body of water they had to cross, which was the, the Jordan River. That's right. What does the Bible, why does the Lord put that in the Word of God, and what, what, what does that have to do with us now? Mo, Joshua is the one who got them through, Moses got them through the Red Sea, Joshua got them through the Jordan and into the Promised Land. Okay? It represents three stages of the Christian life. In Egypt, it represents when we're lost, we do not know God. We're slaves of sin, we're slaves of the devil, we are lost. And by God's mercy, through the Lamb of God who's slain Jesus Christ, we're able to leave Egypt. We cross, the Bible says that's a representation of baptism, going through the Red Sea was baptism. So you get saved, you come out, you're set free, you get baptized, and you say, you know, my old life's gone. I'm never going back there again. And you... And it was public. Everybody could see these people were crossing over. That's why we made the baptism in public. And so the Bible says that that was what that represents. And so we come, and, but then they came into, in, but in between, after they crossed the Red Sea and, and they came to the Jordan, they spent how many years? Forty years of no progress. The Bible says how many days does it take? to go from when they crossed the, the, the Red Sea to the Promised Land. Wow, let's give him a clap. It says 11 days, that, that's right, it is 11 days. Now can you imagine that something that takes 11 days took them 40 years? Now you and I may look at that and say, that is insane. How can something that takes 11 days take you 40 days? Why did it take them 40, 40 years? Why did it take them 40 years? The answer is here, by the way, in what we're reading here. Disobedience. They did not, they did not want to listen to God. They hardened their hearts time and time again. The result was they turned around and they turned around and they turned around and then turned around. Let me tell to you, my brothers and sisters, I speak in love. We waste time when we don't listen to God. We waste precious days and weeks and years. Those years when you're not listening to God, you're hardening your heart, you're running away from the Lord. God says, do this. You're like, no, but my flesh likes it. I don't want to put that down. It's a waste. It's a waste of days. It's a waste of years. It's a waste of... And I was sharing with some people, I've been thinking a lot about time. If you spend a day, morning comes and evening comes, you're like, whoa, what did I do with the day today? <laughs> did I listen to God? This day just went away. You have seven days like that. That's a week where at the end of the week you're like, wait, what did I do with this week again? You have 52 weeks like that. You have a whole year where you're like, this year has started and it's gone. What did I do with the year? You have 40 years like that. You may end up one day at the end of your life and saying, um, where did life go? And what did I do with it? 
What I'm trying to say is that we, it, it ha we have to deal with that on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, every day, listen to the Lord. Because if we don't, we waste time. We waste time. And the Bible says all, everything is passing away, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. There is, um, so when Joshua, when they, after 40 years, finally, they came to the border of the, um, of the, of the, of the Jordan, they were going to cross into the promised land. The desert, 40 years, represents the time, the season in a Christian's life where we live carnally. We belong to God, but part of our hearts want to go back to Egypt, back to the old things, and we're not really surrendered. We don't trust God. We think the world still has something to offer to us, and so we waste time, we make progress, but then we go back and so forth. You don't want to live in that kind of a state because you can spend a whole generation that. Now let me ask another question. About how, how many people, about how many people left Egypt? Six hundred? He says six hundred thousand. Who's got another answer? Two million? Okay. He says two million. Who, 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 has a, who has a more descriptive answer? Osagi or Manuelito? Who's, who's right? A hundred million? Wow. That's three times, well, that's a third of the United States. A hundred million. Okay. He says a hundred million. Who's got another answer? 10,000, what? 5 million? Yeah. Luisito. 1 million? He says 1 million. Okay. So, Osagi is right. It was 600,000, but 600,000 men. Manuel is right in that if you include the women and the children, it will likely be around 2 million. Okay, so about, that's about how many people came out. Now, how many people ended up making it into the promised land? Three hundred, okay. Three hundred. A hundred? Oh, hey. Welcome, Nicole, and welcome, baby Mariah. Wow, good to see you guys. You can join me in the front here. <laughs> okay. So how many, people, how many people made it into the promised land? Two. He says two, so there's 300 and then there's two. Who has another number? Pardon? There were two scouts. Okay, he says there were two scouts. Who has another number? Three scouts. Okay, there's two scouts, three scouts. None of them. Okay, there's zero over there. Okay. Um, well, John, what do you say to? 
That's right. That's right. So it is two people of the 600,000 men who were 20 years and older. There were only two that made it across into the promised land. Okay? Now, the Bible says that these things are written for our instruction. If you take that as a ratio, if you were to take that as a ratio and apply that today, you may say that out of 600,000 Christians, maybe only two enter the, prom- the, the promised land. Um, it's a picture to tell us that it's possible for most people to spend their whole lives turning around in the desert. It's possible. And in, our, in the Christian life, that can happen. We can spend our years. Sometimes you see it, it gives any, real, any pastor who really cares about the people, like Pastor Steve does and Pastor Eric, our elders here, anybody who really cares about the, the, the sheep and their spiritual well-being, let me tell you, it aches them to see people who year after year just are not making any progress spiritually. The same old sins, the same old addictions, the same old temper, the same old rebellious heart, over and over and over. And you see people after 10 years, after 15 years, they're still self-centered, they're still not making progress, they still have the same anger, the same jealousy, the same lying and falsehood and making up stuff, the same addictions. It causes the heart of any pastors to, to ache because it's like you have a child, then after, when the child is born and you're changing diapers, that's cute. But when the child... It's 15 years old, then you still have to change diapers. That's not, that does, no one says that that's cute. That starts to become a problem. And so every parent, everyone who really wants their child, they want their child to grow. And in church, your leaders, your pastors, they want you to make progress. Now, what is the promised land? This is one of those things that, unfortunately, um, in part, uh, the, the hymns are good, the old hymns, I love them. But in parts due to the old hymns, they are, the, the land, the promised land is often thought as heaven. You think of crossing the Jordan as going into heaven. Now, that's, and that's not, that doesn't line up biblically because in heaven there are no giants to conquer. Okay? There's no battles that we go there to fight. Okay? What the, 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 the promised land um, it signifies is a life of spiritual maturity. It's a life, it's really like the spirit-filled life where you conquer the land from top to bottom, from, 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 from Dan to Beersheba, north and south, and from the Jordan all the way to, 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 to the sea. They were to take that whole land. That's what God had promised them. It represents life where we enter into all of our inheritance in Christ all that Christ has offered for us, and that does take some battle. And so, but many people don't enter that. They would linger around in the desert for a long time. So they said that they never enter God's rest. They never enter into the promised land. 
So some of them did enter that promised land, but what the writers of Hebrew is trying to tell us here is that that rest that they entered, that was sure, physical rest, God gave them rest. Today, you and I, God has a different rest for us. And that rest is when we come into a life of maturity and we begin to grow, we begin to overcome sin in our life. Those are the giants that we fight. It's sin and the devil. We begin to overcome in areas of our lives that were taken up by things of darkness are conquered and taken up by the Lord. That is the life. That is a life of spiritual growth and maturity that God wants us to enter into. And so, Today, the Bible says we need to enter that. And how do we enter that? It begins by just listening. Listen to what God is saying to you. Whether it be when you're reading the Bible, when you listen to a sermon, when God is speaking to you, always listen to what God is saying to you. You will make progress. It begins there. But, so let's go to verse... um, Let's go to verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Verse 11, let us therefore be diligent lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Listen to that. Let us be diligent. The NIV say let us make every effort. It's the same thing. Let's be diligent. There is something you and I need to do. This life, this life of maturity is just not going to come to you. It takes diligence. It takes an investment. You've heard it said that nothing that's worth it is easy. That's true of the Christian life. You see, the Bible says it's rest that we're entering into. But it's rest that we need to be diligent to enter into. You get that? It's not rest where we just take it easy and then we're going to find ourselves in rest. No, it is rest that we need to fight into. They had to fight to enter that rest. The the Israelite did. They had to fight to enter it. And in the same way, there is a diligence that needs to be applied to it. There's a discipline to it. There's reading the Word of God. There is what you're doing tonight, coming to church. There are things you and I need to do. It's not spiritual growth. It's not random. Please remember that. I used to think when I was a kid, I'm talking about when I was really little, I used to think, you know, um, spiritual life is, you know, that there's just some people that got lucky, you know. People like Moses, they were close to God. They just won the lottery, you know, like, and then they got close to God. They became spiritual. Elisha and all these people. Um, and Amayo may not win that lottery. <laughs> you know what I mean? I used to think like that. But the reality is, you study the lives of all of these people, you will find what the Bible says is true. God is no respecter of persons. There is no favorite with God. Anyone who seeks him, finds him. Anyone who seeks the Lord will find him. That promise is given to all of us. Now, doesn't mean that you get to lead two million people like Moses did. 
whatever God has for you to do in terms of ministry, that's up to God. But you will have a closeness to God. You will hear from Him. You will walk close to Him. You will overcome in your own personal life. And you'll enter that rest. That's open to all of us. You don't have to have the title of a pastor. You don't need to. You just can walk with God and enter that rest. But it takes diligence. It is those who invest in that diligence to enter it. It's not random. So, verse 12, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God which is what we need to listen to. That's the theme here. You listen to the Lord today. You obey it. You take it to heart. Now harden yourself. You enter into rest. You enter a life of victory that God has promised. But it takes listening to the word of God because the word of God is a sword. It has power. It has power to enter into the very deep, the very depth of, the, of our beings Dealing even all the way up to our thoughts and intents, the motives and intents of the heart. So, one of the ways that we end, one of the things that need to happen for us to grow is that we ought to be listening to the Word of God every single day. And as we listen to it, allow it to be like a sword in our lives, cutting out the things that need to be cut out from our spirits, from our soul, cutting out the junk and all the stuff that needs to be removed. The Word of God does that. And exposing ourselves to is important. I would say to you, if you've never read the Bible, you don't have a habit of reading the Bible, here's how you can start. This is what I said to everyone. Begin, you can begin with the Gospel of Luke, and you go all the way to the end of the book. And once you reach the end, of Revelation, that's Revelation, start from Genesis and read again all the way to Mark. It takes only 15 minutes a day to read the whole Bible in a year. Uh, you probably all have heard me say that. It's like a broken record. Um, it takes 15 minutes a day to read the whole Bible in a year. So I'll tell you um, my own story on this. Um, if you've already heard me say this, I apologize, but I'll say so, it will encourage you. I was saved when I was 10 years old. And I would read the Bible, and we read it at home. Once I got saved, one of the things that changed was that now when I read the Bible, it was like God was speaking to me. We read it before, but now when I read it, it was like, I read five verses. It's like verse one, here's the message for you. Verse two, here's the message for you. Verse three, so God was speaking to me. And those were wonderful years, especially the first two, three years. I was chasing after the person who led me to Christ. I was like, I want to get the discipleship lesson. Give me the next one. And that's why I was just chasing after them. And, but, in, and then there was this radio station where they would play. Um, there, someone would just re be reading the scriptures. And there was a guitar playing in the background. And I'll just sit in the evening and listen to that. And I'd love to sit and listen to that. But something was telling me 
You should read the Bible. Just begin from the beginning and read it. And I could have, especially like when I got around 13, 14, I started to have that sense. But I'll read it, but did not read it from beginning to end. Anyways, one year, uh, when I was 15, it was uh, the end of the year, begin, a new year was starting, and someone as church was, have, there was this pamphlet that someone was selling outside the church, and someone bought it for me, gave it to me, and this pamphlet said it takes only 15 minutes a day to read the whole Bible in a whole year, yet most Christians have never read it. I was so convinced, I was like, that's me, I've been saved five years, and I knew how to read, I could have read the whole thing, I didn't read it. And then he had a calendar to read the whole Bible in a year, starting from Genesis to Revelation. I took it and I started to read it, and it was life-changing for me. I was like, wow, I did not know that God was like this. <laughs> and I was reading things there that I never heard at church, and it was not the fault of the church because there are 66 books in the Bible. There are 52 weeks in a year. Even if the pastor taught one sermon from each book every, uh, every Sunday, he won't cover all the books. There's no substitute to you and I sitting and reading the whole thing for ourselves. I know this is Calvary Chapel. We believe in chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It's good when the pastor does that, but it is more powerful when you and I do that in our own time. And I was so blessed by that reading that at the end of the year, I reread it in six months. And I, it, it was life. I'm still reaping, I believe, the, the, the fruit from that reading. And after that, the first two times I read it in French, then I started reading it in English. Uh, that, because that's also when we moved here. That my, I slowed down a bit because this was a new language to me. But I read a lady from a Baptist church um, that I recently actually found, um, reconnected with. She gave me a 1984 NIV back then. It was a, the right translation for me with my level of English at the time. And I read that thing from beginning to end. And I've been on a loop since then. It's been 25 years. And I've not kept count of how many times. That's not the point. But the point is just, Reading through the Word of God because it has power. The Word of God has power to get into your life, into my life, and do things. And we can't say we don't have time. Okay, um, You have time to be on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and what else is out there? Snapchat. Um, um, what? Email. Email. TikTok, yeah, see, I'm glad we have a young person here. TikTok, what else is out there? Yeah, this, this, all this time. Um, some kids, I was in the school with some kids, little kids in, 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 a, in a Christian school. They were asking me, how old are you? It was, I don't know, it was very interesting, the question the kids ask you. They want to say, how old are you? And then we had a fun time having them guess. And it was like, are you married? Do you have a girlfriend? Okay, why don't you go on Christian Tinder, whatever that is. Uh, whatever, whatever that is. Um, so that may be one of the things that you're spending your time on. So you got your Facebook, Christian Tinder, all these things. Put them all together. It's more than 15 minutes. You can't say you don't have time, okay? 
you cannot say you don't have time. And we, we spend a lot of time on things that don't really matter and that will have no impact um, in eternity. But the things that really matter, we do need to give those time. So spend time in the Word of God. And when you read it, I don't have time to get into a lot of that um, right now. Wow, it's, all, it's, really, it's really, is it really past eight? Okay. So we, you know, I, I do want to encourage you to read the Word of God and um, meditate on it. Some other day may get into more of how to read the Bible. We did that during the um, spiritual growth series. We got into how to read the Bible, how to um, study it, and God willing, we could do that again. So, the other thing that um, the Word of God is going to do to us is to is that it exposes things. You know, verse 13 says that um, it makes you see what's inside of you. It'll come out if you go before the Lord. I would encourage you to do this when you're reading the Word of God. Say to God, God, here I am. I'm going to read your Word. Speak to me and show me what is it that you have in here for me. You could read two, three chapters, but... There may only be one verse there that speaks to you for that day, but I guarantee you there will always be something that God speaks to you for that day. And you go, it could be a, a, an encouragement, it could be a rebuke, it could be a correction, it could be a promise, but the Lord will speak to you. If you expose yourself, you give, you give it time. Okay, I'm going to move on from that. Now verse 14, seeing that we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold fast because Jesus Christ, our, our, our high priest, has gone into heaven. We can be guaranteed, um, our future is guaranteed because he's there. Let, not get, let us not get discouraged, hold fast to it. Don't be a believer who said, like it says later in Hebrews, who shrinks back. That's a recurring theme in the book of Hebrews. It's a book of, it's really a book of encouragement. Hold fast, do not lose your confidence. It says in chapter 10 later on, uh, or chapter 9 late, later on, do not lose your confidence, do not be discouraged. It is part of that, of the theme of this book. And Oftentimes, like I said, it's, you see believers who turn around year after year after year. It's like the Israelites in the desert. But then the other thing that you see is just those who lose their confession. Today they're saying, yeah, I'm in the Lord. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to obey Him. But tomorrow you don't see them. They're back to doing certain things. They're, um, they're back to confessing different things. It is the, the Word of God says, let us hold on. Do not lose our confidence. And here is what it says, verse 15 and 16. I do want to spend time on these because this is sort of a continuation of what I was saying on Sunday. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was in all point tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus Christ is our high priest. What that means is that he's the one who stands before God on our behalf. Now, he's not the high priest who is 
God, you know, I don't know what these people are doing. Father, I don't know what these people are doing. You know, it doesn't make sense to me. What is it that they're, they're doing? They, they keep failing. I don't, you know, just let's get rid of them. No, he says that we have a high priest who sympathizes with us. Why does he sympathize with us? Because Jesus Christ, who is God, became a man just like us, like I was saying on Sunday, and he submitted himself, subjected himself to the same problems and issues that you and I have. He was hungry, he was thirsty, he was sleepy, he was tired. He became like us. He had to work, he was a carpenter, he had to deal with parents, he had to deal with siblings. <laughs> He had to go through the same things you and I go through. He had to face people who wanted, who were lying about him, who insulted him, who were jealous of him. He had to pray. He had to fast. He subjected himself to the same things like you and us. And, uh, and one of the things that he subjected himself to was temptations. Jesus was tempted, it says, in all points was tempted as we are. Listen, in this whole matter of listening to God, you may say, wow, but that sounds hard. Like, I want to listen, but I want to do what God wants me to do, but I fail. I'm failing. How, how, can, how can I overcome? Well, number one, it is to tell, the Bible admits here, we have a weakness. We have a weakness, and the weakness in us is that our hearts are bent on backsliding. It is easy for us to go back to our old ways and into sin and so forth. We always have to remind that. Um, I share here, some brothers have heard me say this, especially when I talk with brothers in private. I tell them, listen, we're weak. We underestimate how weak we are. Um, in our own strength, we're super weak. Someone was telling me that, you know, they were offended that someone called them, told them they were weak. I was like, you should tell them you have no idea how weak I am. I believe I'm weak. It's only by the strength of God that I've been able to stay away from some crazy things. It's not because I'm strong. I tell you the truth. I think of myself as a very weak person. It is those who think they're standing who are going to fall. But those who know that they're weak and that they need to depend on God, they will stand. And so, but Jesus sympathizes with us. He knows how hard it is. He lived in our world. And the Bible says he was tempted in every single point exactly like you. So think about what temptations have you had today? Jesus had that temptation. What temptation have you had this week? Jesus had that temptation. What temptations did you have last month? Jesus had that temptation. What's the thing that's tempting you right now? Is there a thought in your mind when I leave this meeting Here's what I'm going to go do. Well, Jesus faced that temptation too. Yet, without sin. He was tempted. The devil came after him, and after him, and after him. And he did not sin. 
And here is what you and I need to understand. I'm going to get back to that in the, in the few minutes I have left here. Um, he had, like I said on Sunday, Jesus Christ on earth. He limited himself to the same resources that you and I have. He did not stop being God. Jesus Christ is God. He did not put aside his divinity when he came to earth. He put aside his divine rights. It's like a billionaire who goes to a poor village somewhere, but he says, you know what? I don't want to be driving a fancy car over here and build myself a mansion. While I'm here, I'm going to live like this, people. I'll get myself a hut. I'm going to go down to the river and get water when I need water, and I'll gather some wood and cook my food, just like they do. He's still a billionaire, but he's not living by his resources as the billionaire. He's subjecting himself to the same limitations as everybody around him. Jesus did the same thing for us. That's why when the devil comes to him and says, why don't you turn stones into bread, Jesus does not do it because he would have failed in his mission if he did that because you and I don't snap our finger and turn rocks into our lunch when we're hungry. We have to go find food. And Jesus could not do that. He could not, use his, he could not use his power to serve himself like that. But when he was ministering to people, and he had 5,000 people who needed food, he did multiply bread for them. But for himself, he could not do that. In the same way, he subjected himself to the same limitations that you and I have, that's why he's a high priest who can sympathize with us. But he made it with us. So whenever you go to Jesus, you talk to him, he's one who understands you. He's been where you are. He's faced the frustration, he's faced the temptation, he's faced the pain, he's faced the loneliness, he's faced the jealousy, he's faced people lying about him, all of those things, Jesus faced it. Yet he did it without sin, and he made it into heaven, showing us that there is a path also for us, that if we follow him, we too can overcome, just like he did because he became a person just like us. And so, um, let us therefore, it says in verse 16, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Let us therefore, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to do what? Stop and think, what is this there for? Okay? What is the therefore, therefore? So therefore, because Jesus Christ became a person like us, because he can sympathize with us, let us go to the throne of grace, and there we will find two things. Mercy, which I said on Sunday is forgiveness for our past sins. God is merciful. He will forgive you and me for our failures. He will not bring, us, bring the judgment upon us. If we come, we confess our sins we're honest about it. We lay it out before God. Here's what I've done. I'm not making any excuses for it. Forgive me. God is faithful and just each and every single time to forgive us. But there is the second thing that we will get there in the throne of grace. We will get grace. Grace, the God's ability and strength in us to help us overcome the next temptation. Grace when we're going to need it in our time of need. 
when we go into the throne of, of grace, we will find mercy and we will find the grace to help us. Grace is there to help us. Mercy deals with our past. Grace deals with our future. Mer and they're not the same. I, know, I'm like, I mentioned on Sunday, some, many times when people use the word grace, what they really mean is mercy. By the grace of God, in this sense here, it is God's working in us, giving us the ability to help us in our time of need. When you need victory over sin, when someone is lying about you and you need strength to, over, to, 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 to respond to it correctly, when someone has, has insulted you and you need help to deal with that, grace will be there. But where is that grace? We have to go to the throne of grace to get it. It's not that we sit and we say, okay, it's going to come to me. No, let us come boldly because we're going to get it. We're going to receive it when we need it. How do we get in there? We get there by prayer. We get there by seeking the Lord, pouring out our hearts before him, like I was saying. There is no spiritual growth without that. I say there's no spiritual growth without listening to the word of God. There's no spiritual growth without running into the throne of grace. And if you see a man or a woman who has made spiritual progress, I'll show you a man or woman who spends time in the throne of grace. They're there praying. They're there seeking the Lord, pouring their hearts out to the Lord. I wish I had time to get into practical help for praying. That will have to be another day, but I will just say this. If you don't have a prayer life, you don't know where to start, begin with this. Set a time. Don't say it's just going to happen. Set a time where you pray. Make that time a time that nobody can destroy can disturb or interrupt. Even if it is just 15 minutes, you can start with that. And in that time, be honest with God. Put the phone away. Put the TV away. Put just you and the Lord. Even if it's just 15 minutes, but if it is quality 15 minutes and it is consistent, your life will begin to change. You're listening to the Word of God, spending time in the throne of grace, communing with God and talking to Him, even if you just have half an hour of doing these two, 15 minutes in the Word, 15 minutes in prayer, you just start there. If you're beginning, you just start with that. I tell you, in three months, six months, your life will be in a different place. Because in the throne of grace, we find mercy, forgiveness for our sins, and we get grace to deal with what's coming ahead. Um. Let me skip over to um, to verse seven of chapter five. Don't have time because we're running out of time. I'm going to skip the, the first five, uh, six verses. So it says of Jesus, in the days of his flesh, when he had to offer up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his godly fear. Let me hear that again. Jesus, in the days of his flesh, he offered up prayer and supplication with vehement cries and tears 
to him who was able to save him from death. Jesus, in the days of his flesh, the days when he was here on earth, he was offering up prayers and supplication. He, he prayed, the NIV said, with loud cries and with tears. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, praying with loud cries and tears. What was he praying for? The Bible says here, what was he praying for? That's a real question. What's the answer from verse 7? What was he praying for? Sure. Okay. So here in verse 7, though, what is, it, what is it saying that he was praying for? To save him from death. He was praying to the Father, Father, save me from death. So, there's two kinds of death that the Bible talks about. There's physical death, there's spiritual death. Which one do you think he was praying for? Why? How do we know that's what the death he was praying for? He was praying to be saved from. He knew he had to die physically, yeah. He was tempted. Um, that's true. It says he was heard because of his godly fear. It says his prayer was heard. He was praying to be saved from death. And it says his prayer was heard. Now, if it was physical death that he was praying to be saved from, then he was not heard because he did die physically. He said he was heard. His prayer to be saved from death was heard. So he must have been praying to be saved from spiritual death. Now, what spiritual death caused by? What is spiritual death? It is sin. It is, it is the result of sin. It's when we sin and fellowship with the Father is broken. Jesus Christ who came into the world, listen to this. This is a life-changing truth. Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came into this earth, so valued his fellowship with the Father, and he knew that sin is such a dirty thing that brings death, he wanted to have nothing to do with it. So he was praying, Father, we love Christ and tear, please don't let me touch this. I don't want anything that defiles me. I don't want it. It, it is so filthy. It is so bad. I do not want that to corrupt me. I don't want to get in contact with even a little bit of it. Save me from death. Keep me from that death. He was not crying out, Father, make me a millionaire with loud cries and tears. It is the thing that makes you, that, that, that shows you that so much of the Christian world does not have the heart of Christ. Because when you look at what people ask for prayer for, some televangelists did that. They asked their people to do a survey and ask of the letters that come into their ministry, what are the people asking for? Number one thing was money. Will God give me more money? Give, give me more money. 
by far, he, he, he did not believe it, so he had them do it a second time. They ran the study a second time, found the same thing. But here, you see the heart of Christ who came from heaven with a perspective, with a heavenly perspective. What he was crying out for was, Father, I don't, wanna, I don't want the death of sin. Keep me from it. Now, I don't say this to condemn you, but I want to ask you. Many people say, well, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with this, and I'm struggling with that. I want to ask you, when's the last time you truly cried out to God? Say, Father, save me from this thing. I don't want the death that this thing, that this thing brings into my life. And there was loud cries and tears. Show me someone who's cried out like that to God like that for three months. And they were not freed. He cried out with a light cross and to the one who could save him from that. And he said he was heard. Verse 8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. I wish I could spend time to explain that, but I'm running out of time here. What all that really means is that Jesus Christ was a person like, even though he's God, he subjected himself to the same things that you and I have. So he had to pray. He had to lay to rely on the Father. Now we know that the one time when he had to, to, to be separated from the Father was when he was on the cross. But that was an act of obedience. The Father asked him to do that, so he had to. But during his life, the days of his flesh, he cried out to the Father, keep me. I don't want to ever be separated from you. I, I don't want to touch this, this filth. Having been perfected. And so it says... Um, In verse 11, about this whole thing, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have, be you, you, you have become dull, you are hard of hearing, or you are slow to understand. So though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the first principles and the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partake of milk is on is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to the mature. It's basically saying some of you are turning around in the desert. You have not grown. You've not grown. Say that about this whole thing of Jesus Christ and his day of his flesh, there's much to teach here. But he said we can't even get into much depth with that because um, there's, by now you ought to have, to, to have been teacher. That's true of many of us. But today is the first day of the rest of our lives. Today is the most important day of our lives, so we can begin.